And Lord, as we look in your word this morning, help each of us to hear the things you mean for us, no more and no less. And let us, uh, let us find you, Lord, again. Let us get to know you a little better through the passage in John this morning. Amen. We are in John 6, and if you remember, last week Jesus gave real meaning to the phrase, eat me, when he said uh, he was the bread of life. Let me summarize. John six fifty three through 56, Jesus said these strange things like, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life. For he said, he who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. My flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. You eats my flesh and drinks my blood, abides in me and I in him. Jesus used this graphic, revolting, really, illustration for the Jews, as we saw last week, to say again that eternal life was to be had by believing in him. And we talked about this last week. This was an illustration, although he spoke in a literal manner. His desire was to show again, and we compared verses last week and showed this, that eating Christ as an illustration reemphasized that it was believing in him that brought about eternal life. And just as food becomes a part of you when you ingest it and you become a part of it, those who believed in Christ abided in him and he abided in them. That was the text from last week. Now, his audience has a problem with this. And that's where we're going to pick up this morning. We're at verse 60. They're upset. John 6, verse 60, through the end of the chapter. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a difficult statement. Who can listen to it? And remember, this is still the large group that he's talking to here. His disciples are his followers here, those who have been following him. But Jesus, conscious that his disciples grumbled at this, said to them, Does this cause you to stumble? Let me just break briefly to say the Greek term for stumble is is our English word scandalize. Scandalizo is the Greek. Does this cause you to be scandalized? And, and in biblical usage, to be scandalized means to fall away, to be offended in such a way that you fall down. It can also mean a snare. If I scandalize you, I put a snare in front of you that causes you to fall. This is the same term used in the gospel where Jesus says, if you cause one of these little ones to stumble to be scandalized, to fall down from following me. Same word. So Jesus says, does this, this illustration of eating his flesh, drinking his blood, does this cause you to fall down, to fall away from following me? Verse 62, what then if you should behold the Son of Man ascending where he was before? Jesus seems to be saying here, look guys, you ain't seen, you ain't heard nothing yet. If, if my little illustration causes you to find me incredible or hard to believe or follow, what if you should see me in heaven in my glory, where I came from and where I'm going to? You would find that even harder to believe. Jesus says, this is no big thing. Get over it. Verse 63, in explanation, he says, it is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and are life. And we said... Last week, this was one of the key verses that explained Jesus isn't speaking literally, literally, but metaphorically or as an illustration, that the words that he was sharing were to impart spiritual life. It wasn't that bodies were going to live forever. These bodies, 
It was going to be that you had eternal life, you gained eternal life when you believed in, thereby eating, if you will, Jesus, the bread of life. Verse 64, but there are some of you who do not believe, for Jesus knew from the beginning who they were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. He was saying, for this reason I have said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted him from the Father. We talked about this last time too, or two, two Sundays ago perhaps. Verse 44, Jesus had said, no one can come to me unless the Father draws him. Verse 66, as a result of this, Many of his disciples withdrew and were not walking with him anymore. When this says disciples here, remember something. Disciple simply means a student or a follower or a learner. It means someone who was at least following Jesus. And remember in this context, he has a bunch of disciples, right? Because they've been following him around the north end of the Sea of Galilee. So this is the large group. They've eaten the miraculous Happy meal there at Bethsaida. They've had the loaves and the fish. They've seen at least a little boy healed, and they followed him across the sea. These are the disciples the text is talking about. This, the point being, this does not imply necessarily that these folks had already believed in Jesus. Well, of course, from the text, we know that many of them did not believe, as Jesus just said. But they were at least, for a time, following him, physically following him and listening to him. Jesus said, therefore, to the twelve, after the big crowd's gone and his chosen twelve are left, he says, you do not want to go away also, do you? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Jesus answered them, did I myself not choose you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil? Now I meant Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him. I'm going to focus just on two things this morning. The first is the phrase in verse 66, they weren't walking with Jesus anymore. They withdrew, and they weren't walking with Jesus anymore. The group's been following him. They've seen miracles. They've eaten miraculous food. But Jesus starts talking about eating him and drinking his blood and they're scandalized and they're repulsed and they turn and they walk away. And This is interesting. I mean, just think for a minute. If you knew this was a person who healed people who could otherwise not be healed, if you knew he had miraculously produced, reproduced bread and fish to feed literally thousands, what would it take for you to say, I'm not going to listen to this guy anymore? This doesn't seem like a big hurdle. It's offensive, and they are a little confused. They're grumbling. But they turn and say, we're out of here. We've heard enough. What you've said to us so offends us that we're not willing to listen to you or follow you anymore. Anymore. They turn, they walk away, and they don't follow him anymore. Now, these folks followed for a while, and they listened, but they did not believe. I don't know what kind of conversations you guys have had with people who you've talked to about Christ and they've told you for one reason or another why they weren't going to become a Christian. I thought for myself of just a few. One guy I talked with years ago told me he wouldn't become a Christian because he didn't like harp music. I'm serious. Because heaven would be harp and organ music and he didn't like church music, so he wasn't going to become a Christian. 
this is a fairly common one. Some other people will tell you that they won't follow Christ, they won't believe in him and trust themselves to him because Christians, that is, those folks that they know that call themselves Christians are hypocrites. That's perhaps the most common one. Um, I've had people tell me that they weren't going to become Christians because they were determined to have fun while they could, to have a good time, to enjoy pleasure. Thinking back to our Sunday school lesson this morning, I had a guy tell me he would not become a Christian because of the evil and suffering God allowed in the world. He couldn't be a good God and he wasn't worth following. So you guys have probably had other conversations or you know other reasons that people would say, I'm not going to follow Christ because I'm offended at fill in the blank, whatever it could be. And think about this for just a minute. Think about the stakes and the decision and what they're really saying no to. They're saying no to eternal life. They're saying no to the only means of living forever in God's presence in what anyone could call happiness or fullness of life or joy. Jesus says he's the only way. So they're offended by a statement or by hypocrites or by some notion or other that they don't understand. And so like this crowd here, they say, we're not following you any further. We're not entrusting ourselves to you. This is somewhat like Esau in the Old Testament. You remember Esau who was the eldest born? And he says to Jacob when he comes in from the field, I'm famished, give me some of that food. It's just a little stew. It's a little lentil soup, you know, that red stuff. And the text in the story tells us Esau despised his birthright. In other words, he took something of value his birthright as the oldest son, and he traded it for a little on-the-spot stew, a meal that lasted one bite, one meal, and it was over forever. He traded what was of inestimable worth for something that was of next to no worth. And that's what these folks are doing in the story. Something's offended them. Jesus had said something that they didn't like, they didn't understand. And thus they said, we're not following you anymore. And maybe in their own minds, they're just ticked enough or they're upset enough, whatever, that this makes sense. But when you consider, when you step back and consider what kind of decision are they really making, they're saying eternal life is not worth a little misunderstanding or a little confusion or a little being offended on my part because this miracle worker said something that I don't like. Do you see how crazy this is? Um, one of the things I want to ask people is, what would keep you from choosing eternal life? If you realize this, this is the stake, it's eternal life, it's eternal joy and peace with Christ forever, or it's eternal suffering, what would keep you from choosing life? What kind of offense or confusion or misunderstanding would you allow to keep you from life? That's what these folks are doing. They're walking away from the only source available for eternal life, and they're doing it because they're offended. Their sensibilities have been injured. This is terrible. This is a tragedy. It is, on the other hand, moronic. If any of us said to someone, choose life or death, which would they choose? If you said, good, choose good or evil, which would they choose? If you said, choose a steak dinner or 
choose rocks. Which would they choose? But that's the choice here, and the people are offended, and so they, in their sensibilities, they say, we're not going to listen to this anymore, and they walk away from the source, the only source of life, because they're offended. There shouldn't be anything that would keep any of us away from trusting Christ when we realize that's the stakes, eternal life. No matter what he would say, we should be able to say, I'm going to trust you because it's worth it. It's eternal life. I know that's what I want. That's where I'm going. I'm not going to be offended or turned away. If you've trusted Christ, ask yourself this question. If you haven't trusted your Christ, this is a great time to trust him. If you have trusted Christ, ask yourself this question. Is there anything that Christ, that God, could allow in your life that would cause you, like these folks, to turn and walk away from him today? And before you say there's nothing, just, just stop and just think for a minute. Because I think we tend to overestimate our own faithfulness and we tend to underestimate our own willingness to fail in one way or another. And just think, just through a few examples. If I was in the tsunami land last month, and, and let's just say my family's carried away in a flood, would I say to the Lord, it's, it's okay, I'm still with you? Or would I say, I've had enough, I'm, I'm walking away, you, you did me wrong, I'm offended? Or if God allowed you to lose your health, I mean significantly, or your wealth, or your reputation, if he allowed you to in some tragic way lose your spouse, or your child, or your parent. You see where I'm going? Is there anything that could come up in your life at which time you would say, Lord, I've had enough. I'm not playing at this anymore. I'm walking somewhere else. I'm not following you anymore. This is a good soul-searching question for any of us. And we'll talk more about this in the second point in a minute. But it's worth asking ourselves. See, this wasn't a huge deal, but it offended them. That is, in some significant way, they just said, I've had enough. And so they turned and walked away. And you may have known Christians in the past that have said, for one reason or another, I've had enough. I'm going someplace else. I'm going to pick up another game. I ran into a Christian guy, this was probably two years ago, and he and I had gone to the same church many years earlier. We hadn't seen each other. And we saw each other, we recognized each other in this restaurant, and we'd no more than greeted one another than he said this. He says kind of quietly, almost under his breath, he said, so, are you still walking with the Lord? I loved it because clearly for him, I assumed two things had gone on in the intervening years. I assumed that that meant he had seen other Christians that he knew that weren't walking with the Lord anymore. And I'm not even talking about salvation here, guys. I'm just talking about relationship with Christ, the day-to-days. I assume he had seen other folks from probably that same church who were no longer walking with the Lord. And he had seen enough things maybe in his own life that he knew that this was a temptation. And so I was thrilled that he asked me. I was thrilled that he was aware of the issue. And I was thrilled that he was willing to ask me, a guy he hadn't seen in, I don't know, 10 or 15 years, 
a personal question like that. So, are you still walking with the Lord? He was. I had another guy, guy I had grown up with, become a Christian, confessed Christ, met him at a reunion. He, he explained to me what his life was like, and he asked me, after describing his life, I knew he was not walking with the Lord, and so he asked, half-joking, so, Mike, are you still walking with the Lord? And it was the same question, but the perspective it came from with the two different guys was, was 180 degrees apart. One guy was still walking with the Lord, basically saying, hoping, I was too. The other guy had walked the opposite direction and half chiding had asked me, was I still doing that Christian thing? But these are questions worth asking ourselves. What would offend me? Is it possible that I would be offended by something that God caused or allowed in my life so that I would say, Lord, I'm not playing your game anymore. This could be positive or negative. God could require something of me that I don't want. Or he could keep something from me that I do want. It could be withholding something or it could be requiring something. It, anything in the world, all the things we face. It's good to ask yourself, is it possible for a situation to arise in which I'd tell the Lord, I'm offended, I'm out of here. I'm following someone or something else, but not you. You know, again, for the person who's not a Christian, it's eternal life. For the person who has believed Christ, I understand the scriptures to teach that those who've been born again can't lose their second birth. That is, the spirit of Christ is in them. They don't lose their salvation. We can certainly become prodigal children, though. That is, we say so long to our father, and we go off and we go do our own thing. That's possible. You've seen it. I've seen it. Is there anything that would come up in your life to which you would say to God, I've had enough. I'm upset. I'm confused. I'm offended. And turn and walk the other way. Along with that, the second question I want to ask is, have you ever come to a place in your life where you say to yourself, no matter what, no matter what, I know who you are, and I can't turn to anyone else. Let me reread three verses out of this passage. Jesus says to the twelve, You do not want to go away also, do you? Question. And Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go, or where could we go? You have words of eternal life. We have believed and have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. Now this is Simon Peter talking. Simon Peter has been the butt of more jokes and he has been the negative sermon illustration more than perhaps anyone else in the Bible. Remember, he's always quick to act. He doesn't think first. He speaks first. He runs first, whatever. And this is true in the beginning when we meet him and it's true at the, towards the end of his life too. He's, he's consistently inconsistent. And so we often look at him through negative eyes. But you know what? In this passage and in this story... Peter does shine. And this text is just like the text in Matthew 16 in which Jesus says, Who do men say that I am? And the apostles give some options. And Peter says, I know who you are. You're the Christ. You're the Messiah. It's the same thing here. Peter speaks up and says, 
Lord to the question, do you guys want to take off also? Where would we go? What option is left to us? Basically, he says, there's no option left, and there's no option left because of this, because I know something. I know who you are. So no matter what comes up, I'm stuck. Because I don't just say that I know. I really know who you are. So I can't get out of it. I'm painted into a corner from which there is no escape because I know who you are. And I think if, if you've never come to a point in your life like this, this is, this is one of those things that, that all of us need to do in the sense that for the course of our life, if you've trusted in Christ, that's great. But have you ever said, Lord, because I know who you are, I'm, as it were, painted in the corner, and there's a whole host of options that simply aren't options for me. I can't go to someone else. I can't quit following you because I know who you are. There's no other game for me because I know something to be true. I know who you are. You have words of eternal life, and we've come to believe in you. We know who you are. I love this. Uh, for Peter, this excludes all the other possibilities. He's stuck. It doesn't mean he doesn't make mistakes, and it doesn't mean he doesn't have setbacks. But this question has been settled. He doesn't have to ask it again. And for you and I to settle this question once and for all, this is helpful. And this is kind of like, I guess I could compare this <clears throat> this way. Many times, if you hear a, someone's testimony, their story, how they became a Christian, not infrequently, you'll hear about a young guy or gal who was raised in a Christian home. But somewhere in their teen years or so, maybe in their 20s, they went from being a Christian, not doubting their conversion earlier in their life, but they went from being a Christian who grew up in a family home to being a Christian standing on their own feet before the Lord, having made their own adult decision, as it were. Are you with me? Have you talked to people like this? Maybe during their teen years, they, they walked the other way. They withdrew from Jesus, and they went and they did whatever they wanted. But later they came back like the prodigal son, and basically it's because they ended up where Peter was. They knew who he was. In the end, they couldn't escape that. And I love that because that's the kind of decision we need to make. If you came to Christ as a young child, you need to make sure that as an adult, you're saying this with Peter. You're not following Christ through mom and dad, you're following Christ on your own two feet. You're say, saying with Peter, you're able to say with Peter, I know, I, for myself, I know who you are. I've believed your words. I know you have eternal life. There's no other game in town because I've come to know who you are. All of us need to come and make that decision at some point. It is liberating to come, whatever crises bring you to there or whatever scripture text, it's liberating to get to this point because it frees you from pursuing all the other bunny trails in life. You're, you're free to say, Lord, I'm stuck. Whatever happens, you're it. And even if I don't like what you're causing or allowing in my life, I know there's no other game because I know who you are. And this is the way it is. And like it or not, I'm with you. For me, the shame, the 
downside of this is many of us would not consider uh, forsaking Christ verbally or somehow in some significant way turning and walking the other way, but we tend to live lives that are half in the shadows, half in the truth, half in the light, half in the non-truth. You know what I mean? That is, we say, Lord, we believe in you, you have words of eternal life, but then we don't live like it. We don't do the negative thing. We don't turn and walk away with this crowd in John 6. But we don't follow very well either. We follow, as it were, at a distance. Or we say, Jesus, we believe in you, the good shepherd, but then we worry and fret like those who have no shepherd. Or we say, Jesus, we believe in you, the God of Paul, Philippians 4, my God will provide for all your needs, but then we live like we don't think the Lord's going to take care of us. Do you see what I mean? It's good and it's helpful and it's liberating for us to come to these crises in life like Peter had here. They don't get it either. These guys were not the brightest bulbs in Israel. You, you know that. And they'll tell Jesus after he tells a story, Lord, we didn't get it either. What, what did you mean? And then he explains it to them again slowly. But they come to a crisis, they, not understanding they're not offended, but they don't understand either. But their bottom line is, Lord, we know who you are. We know who you are. This sense of knowing who Jesus is, or God is at least, is not relegated only to John 6. And this is certainly Peter's response here. This is one of the high points in the Gospel of John. Peter's response to Jesus' question is as good as it gets. It's the bottom line. But you know, there's other phrases like this in the Old Testament, and I'm going to close with just two of these. You remember Job? Job did not live an easy life. I mean, not when the story picks up with him. He's blessed incredibly. Materially, he has this great wealth. He had a great family, and then he lost it all physically afflicted, tormented by Satan, the loss of everything he had, uh, he saw sufferings you and I will probably never see beyond anything we would see. So he could be offended. He could say, you know what, Lord? I used to believe in you, but I've had enough. I don't anymore. He could have said, God, because you've allowed this evil and suffering in my life, I don't believe you're good anymore, and I'm picking up my chips and going someplace else. He could have. He saw more evil, more suffering than you and I will ever likely see. But this is what he said in Job 13, 15. The loss of everything, extreme physical torment in his own body, and the only thing Satan left him was his wife to chide him to forsake God, if you remember. Job says in Job 13, 15, Though he slay me, I will hope in him. If God were to come down and kill me, he would remain my only hope. That's, that's Peter in John 6. Job says there's no other game in town. Even if God were to slay me to take my own life, he would still be my only hope because I know who he is. Habakkuk, a very short book, closes on a very high note. And Habakkuk was another prophet. And there's, it's a downside. It's terrible things to come. And listen to the way he describes this. Habakkuk 3 Verses 17 through 19, he says, Even though the fig tree wouldn't blossom, 
You remember figs were a, a staple in Jewish life. And there be no fruit on the vines, no grapes to eat, no raisins, no wine to drink uh, purified water with. Though the yield of the olive should fail, and the olive produced uh, food and oil for lights, etc., and the fields produce no food, no food to be had, though the flock should be cut off from the fold and there be no cattle in the stalls. This would be like saying, I lose my job. The crops don't come in. I have no money left. The cupboards are bare. I've lost everything. I have nothing to sustain my life. Tomorrow, Habakkuk says, Yet I will exult in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. The Lord God is my strength, and he has made my feet like hinds feet and makes me walk on my high places. See, these guys, like Peter, they got it. They understood who God was, and because that was the case, they said, Lord, no matter what you do to me, no matter what you cause or allow in my life, I have no place to go. I have no one else to go to for help because I know who you are. There is no other option. I can't withdraw. I can't go someplace else because there's no place else to go because I know who you are. As Christians, it's easy to talk about following Christ. It's another to do it. And ask yourself the question this morning, Lord, am I holding back? Are you Lord in part of my life and not Lord in others? Am I saying with Peter, Lord, you're the only game in town. I have no other hope but you. Let's pray. Father, it strikes me how easily I am offended or upset or confused in the very cushy, very blessed life I lead, much less, Lord, the experiences of Job or Habakkuk or Jeremiah or Peter. Father, help us when you cause or allow hard things in our life. Lord, help us when you require of us things we don't want to give or keep from us things that we want to possess. Lord, help us when you say things to us that we don't understand. Come back to this refrain from Peter. We know who you are. We know who you are. Lord, thanks that it's by your Spirit, as you told Peter in Matthew 16, only by your Spirit that this knowledge, this understanding is imparted to us. Lord, help us to humbly cling to you. And come hell or high water, Lord, whatever might happen in our life, Help us to say in every situation, Lord, we know who you are and we're clinging to you and we're laying our hope and our trust in you. And Father, when we chat with folks who choose to be offended for one reason or another and would reject you because of it, help us to remind them what's really at stake, eternal life, and eternal death. Help us to frame for them the issues clearly. Father, thank you for being all things to us and for giving us your Son. Lord, we look forward to meeting you in eternity, seeing you, rejoicing in your presence with you 
forever. In Jesus' name, amen.